Hey everyone, welcome to episode 100 of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Crazy that we're at uh, 100 episodes. I'm so excited that we've gotten to this point and just want to quickly thank everyone for all of the support uh, over the years with the podcast and excited to to launch some new new parts of the podcast and new features within Slice of Healthcare. I think everyone will be really excited about to, to get the healthcare news that, that they want and deserve. On this episode of the podcast, I'm speaking with Dr. Peter Antal, the Chief Medical Officer at Amwell. I hope you all enjoy it. And again, thanks for the support. Let's bring him on. Thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. How are you today? Uh, doing great. Doing great, Jared. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to to learn more about your background and we can dive more into to Amwell as well. I think we should start things right off real quick. I'd love to hear more about you and uh, kind of how you got to where you are today. Sure. Well, thank you. Uh, well, I'm uh, Peter Antal. Uh, I originally trained as a, as a pediatrician, uh, briefly did some training in pediatric hematology oncology, but uh, never practiced that afterwards. Uh, that's a tough field to, uh, to, to, to practice in. Um, very emotional. Uh, and, um, you know, I practiced as a general pediatrician for, oh, 17 years or so, something along those lines. But um, somewhere along the way, maybe about seven years into my practice, I, I found that uh, I, I really had an urge to, uh, to solve some of healthcare's problems. I saw problems everywhere I looked uh, with our healthcare system and you know, access problems, uh, cost of care problems, uh, uh, referral problems, and interoperability issues. And so I really became determined. I became a garage entrepreneur, I think, back in about 2007, while I was still practicing. Um, so along the way, I've built a hospitalist company. I've written apps for the initial iPhone and the initial Android phone. I was working on some uh, what we called symptom checkers back, back in 2008-9. We now call them chatbots. And I uh, had a brief stop at Specialist on Call, uh, a traditional telemedicine company. I uh, was there for a few years while still practicing and then was lucky enough uh, to meet the folks at Amwell back in 2012. And uh, uh, they brought me on and they, they gave me a simple task. They said, we don't have, we're a technology company. We don't have a medical network. Can you help us build a national medical network all around the country, available 24-7? So that was my task and off we went. And uh, it's been... Uh, been a fun ride ever since. Not only did we build that within about nine months, but uh, we now have uh, nine or so different uh, clinical use cases in, in this group we call the Amwell Medical Group. Uh, and uh, we're operating around the country. We're servicing many, many different uh, Amwell clients, health plans, uh, health systems, employers, all kinds of different organizations and uh, really thriving and, and growing. And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention what uh, happened this year during COVID. Now, we're not thankful that COVID came. It's been a, a really terrible thing, but we are thankful that uh, COVID has really opened people's eyes to uh, the power of telehealth, and we've really been able to make a difference this year. Yeah, it was definitely a crazy year and, and you know, still pretty crazy, everything going on with the pandemic. 
I remember I, I did see Amwell a lot in the news, uh, especially last year. Uh, I, I always saw you guys as an industry leader before COVID and then COVID hit. And um, it, it definitely was all about what your um, your business was really positioned well, right? To be able to offer care to, to uh, patients and be able to work with these organizations out there. Um, I would like to really quick focus in on, you know, you said Amwell wanted you to come in and be their chief medical officer and then head up the Amwell medical group. What was it just the challenge of going into the tech side of things that like really excited you or what was it that drew you in to want to say, okay, I, I want to work at this technology company and, and help them really grow this thing. Yeah. I mean, it was just the, the right fit. I was looking to transform healthcare. I was looking to disrupt healthcare uh, I realized I could only touch 20 or 25 patients or families every day or help them every day in a clinical practice. I wanted to do that on a much broader scale and make a difference. Um, and it was the perfect opportunity. You know, I, I learned at Specialist on Call what worked and what didn't work. And one of the things I found that didn't work was if you want to do primary care, if you want to do urgent care, if you want to do therapy, uh, you need to be able to do it on, on the person's own devices, wherever they are. Um, it, it's not enough to be able to interact with a patient on a big cart in a hospital setting. Now that is useful for some use cases like telestroke or telepsychiatry, but in order to really make that leap into the more modern home-based uh, anywhere you are version of telehealth, you really needed to be able to interact with patients on software that can uh, be on any device on their phone there. And remember one thing, let me back up and pause for a moment. When Amwell started, there was no such thing as a smartphone or a tablet. Uh, and so it was really based on computer-based technology, but it was forward-thinking enough that in, as soon as in 2008 or 9 or whenever the iPhone and the Android phone came out, we were able to quickly adapt uh, to, uh, to those, or maybe it was a little bit later than that, but quickly adapt to those devices and, uh, and begin to, uh, to provide care right, you know, right out of that device sitting in your pocket. And that, that was a game changer. So that really attracted me. What's really interesting too about, about Amwell is it, it almost feels like you guys could have been in a point where you were so innovative that you were too early and you, you weren't though. You, you really kept building and, uh, and now you're you know, one of the most successful companies in the, the digital health telehealth space. Well, the, the, the speed of new technology adoption, maybe I shouldn't say adoption, the speed of new technology uh, now in healthcare, but in other fields as well, moves very quickly. You need to be nimble. You need to be able to adapt. And you can start with a vision, but all of a sudden this wonderful little computer that's this big comes out. Uh, you, need to, you need to figure out exactly how you use that device and you need to keep innovating. So you have to keep innovating, keep disrupting and keep, keep moving forward. Yeah, it's and healthcare is a is a very difficult space to continue to innovate in, right? But it's it's very uh, exciting to see a company like Amwell continue to move the needle forward. And I, I feel like because of all the work that you've done over, you know, X number of years, it's really positioned yourself to people are always looking at your company now from from when I talk with people in the you know digital health telehealth space, and they're looking to see what you're doing, which I'm sure is, is a pretty cool feeling uh, at the stage. Well, it is interesting. I mean, we went from the, the you know, the smaller startup that was trying to find our way and trying to get deals with, with big clients or even small clients potentially uh, um, to now everyone's not everyone, but many, many organizations are now coming to us as the leader and they're trying to get us to work with them or to integrate their technology or they're trying to gain access to our ecosystem. So 
Yeah, times have changed uh, quite a bit in eight or nine years that I've been doing at, at Amwell. Um, the other thing uh, I was going to say is, you know, you made a point about uh, it's hard to make change in, in healthcare, and no question that that healthcare is a very highly regulated, very structured, very orderly um, uh, sector. Uh, physicians don't change easily; they want data and evidence and all that, but. I, I honestly believe we're in a golden age right now. I think we're in a bit of a renaissance right now um, where everyone's realizing that it's either disrupt or be disrupted. And it's, it's time to make change. We have so many problems in our healthcare system, but we also have so many tools and let's put those tools to good use and let's, let's transform healthcare. Yeah, I think healthcare is one of the most obviously exciting and just best best spaces to be in right now, because I feel like you can really move the needle if you're continuously innovating and really working hard to, to better both uh, the, the lives of patients as well as providers, you can really, I don't like to use the word disrupt it, it, that much, but like you can really create a, a business that can change can change the industry for, for so many people. Yeah, and I understand where you're going with the disrupt. Disrupt can sound negative, but um, what what I, what excites me is we we need quantum leaps, not incremental. You always need some incremental improvement and continuous quality improvement, but what our healthcare system really needs is 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 quantum leaps, in my opinion, quantum leaps in um, in um, outcomes and and value based uh, care, quantum leaps in the use, the smart use of data quantum leaps in how we interact with patients outside of the, the time they're in front of a clinician, how, how we check in on them with nudges, how we understand what's happening with them with data. I mean, there's just so much that we could be doing better. And the traditional care models, while they're a good starting point, they're fine. Um, we can do so much better, especially when we integrate technology. I gotta tell you, I, I like that term even a lot better than it, it's very similar in meaning, right? To like disrupt, but like that that term quantum leaps. I'm gonna start using it more if that's all right. <laughs> yeah, of, course, of course, not my term. <laughs> I, I'd really like to circle back quickly when you were giving your intro and you were talking about Amwell, you also mentioned Amwell Medical Group. Can you explain mm -hmm. the the reasoning but behind having this this medical group uh, affiliated with Amwell? Yeah, ours is a, a relatively common model in, you know, this health uh, technology sector. Um, it's called a friendly PC model. And uh, the way this works is uh, uh, companies, uh, software companies, other, other businesses are really barred from directly employing uh, providers who are, who, are, who are providing care to patients. Um, those in, in most, if not all states, um, it's required that that that, that uh, that those providers be housed in a professional corporation owned and run by other clinicians. And it's a good system, uh, really. I mean, I, I live every day uh, between the interface between uh, uh, Amwell Medical Group and Amwell. And Amwell is a business. They are uh, working to grow their businesses and gain new clientele and run an efficient shop. Uh, Amwell Medical Group has a, a different mandate. Our mandate is to provide high quality care to partner with Amwell and its clients to help them achieve their goals. But in the, in the same way, we function as a medical group. We have medical governance and clinical policies and protocols and quality oversight and all those things that uh, uh, you know, high functioning organization will have in order to meet our North Star, which is to provide high quality safe care for, for, for patients. So um, again, it's a common model. 
Uh, and, um, you know, I sit on both sides of the fence. My primary role, my W-2 comes from Amwell Medical Group. That is what I do. Uh, but I'm also the chief medical officer at Amwell. So I'm at least privy enough to Amwell's business and its strategy that, that I can help uh, traverse the, the, the divide between those two organizations. What do you like most about, because obviously you're wearing multiple hats, what do you like more uh, most about that opportunity to wear multiple hats? Is it that you're constantly, you're, you're working on things that are similar, but you get to, uh, I guess, maybe be a little bit more creative than someone that was just working as, uh, I'm, I'm just with Amwell Medical Group and I'm not doing anything with just Amwell, the, the larger organization. Like what's the most exciting part, I guess, about working on, uh, on both of those? Yeah. Um, the creativity, definitely the innovation, the, you know, again, I, I, I re, I've been re, repetitive in using these words, the, 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 the fact that every day I wake up and I get to try to transform healthcare or try to build something new or try to create a new venture or a new uh, use case, it's very, it's very fulfilling. And I, and I also love the day-to-day the -day overseeing of a medical group. We've got an enormous medical group all around the country. Lots of uh, different specialties, lots of different geographies, lots of uh, different, uh, you know, different viewpoints. And uh, that part's fun as well. But it's really, for me, it's about, it's about every day being able to think about how to, how to transform healthcare. Absolutely. I, I'd like to quickly uh, shift focus into talking about, we're, you know, we're in 2021. Let, let's quickly dive into your thoughts on the state of telehealth. Obviously, a crazy year last year changed a lot of things in the industry. A lot of people have said it moved us forward as far as telehealth adoption several years. What are your thoughts on where we're heading in 2021 uh, in terms of telehealth? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you an example of what, what happened uh, in terms of the, the acceleration. So Eric Topol is a, a famous cardiologist and futurist uh, based at Scripps in San Diego. He made a bold prediction back in 2017. He said that by late 2023, um, we are going to have the crossover point uh, where we're going to see more outpatient visits done electronically than in person. And that was, everyone looked at that prediction and said, my goodness, that's a bold prediction. That's awfully aggressive. Well, in April of this year, with national data, not our data, 52% uh, of outpatient visits this past April happened electronically. I was surprised it wasn't 80%, but it was 52%. Yeah. And so it was brief and fleeting, um, but it reset the new normal. And now many organizations, whereas they were doing maybe, you know, provider organizations, maybe they were doing 1%, 2% of their visits electronically before COVID. Most of them report they're doing 15 to 20% of their visits persistently uh, in, at, at this point uh, as COVID is, you know, as everyone's adapted and learned how to open, reopen their offices and everything, telehealth's starting to stick. And so we're not at that, that crossover point yet, but we're, we're a, a big step closer. Again, you could call it a quantum leap uh, closer. So I think that that's one thing. Um, I think that we've also seen a dramatic shift in the way that uh, Congress and the, and the regulators see telehealth. They're all these waivers paid huge dividends in how we could provide care. And I, I, you know, I, I've given a talk recently and the, the, the title of the talk was how telehealth uh, stopped our healthcare system from imploding from uh, this year. And there was a point where it was imploding. There was a point where nobody wanted to go to the emergency department and ambulatory offices were by and large closed or restricted and patients didn't know where to go. And that's where we, we were able to, you know, again, we're gratified we were able to do this and we stepped up and, and played a, a big role. And a lot of it 
was not COVID care. A lot of what we did during that March through June timeframe was seeing patients with diabetes and getting their, their medications refilled and getting their blood tests done and uh, seeing patients with hypertension and getting them back on their blood pressure medication. There's a lot of routine care that was being lost. So it's been, a, it's been a dramatic year. It's been an eye-opening year. And I think as we look forward, providers now know about telehealth. 80% of providers in our recent survey have performed telehealth visits this year. That's incredible. You, last year, it was 22% or 2019, it was 22%. So it went from 22 to 80 in one year. Uh, patients know more about telehealth. Many of them have tried it for the first time this year. And now the, you know, the legislators and regulators are on board as well, or at least getting there. We're working on them. I was actually surprised when I, I basically, I would say a couple months ago, I put out just amongst my LinkedIn connections, like uh, who used telehealth and like before 2019 versus who used it in 2020 and who will use it, they think in 2021. I, I was surprised by how many people were using it even in, or before 2019 to a degree. Um, so like a lot of people will say, oh, you know, telehealth really grew as a result of the pandemic, I think it was already on its way. It, it, the pandemic certainly helped, but I, I'm sure you'd agree, right? I would. And I, I would say that we were, we were well on our way to winning over patients or members or employees, whichever term you want to use for them. We see them in all those settings. We're well on our way with them. We, we still had a, a bit of work to do with the providers and with certain payment barriers like Medicare fee for service. Those were, those were the things that we were still working on and, and, when the, when the payment barriers evaporated uh, due, to, due to the emergency waivers, then you know, providers really found out how useful this can be for them. Before we wrap up, I, I'd love to ask you one more thing. What, sure. what are you most excited about, I guess, uh, as we, we kick off 2021? Yeah, um, now comes the fun part. We've proven that this is a safe and effective way uh, to interact with patients and to, to deliver care. Now we're really starting to get creative and we're thinking about, not just thinking about, uh, better use of data, uh, algorithms and AI to crunch the data, presenting the data in a, in, a, in a way in which it's meaningful to the provider and it's actionable. So that's one area that really excites me. Uh, another area that ex excites me is the asynchronous uh, care and, and chatbots and AI. Uh, so the, the ability to provide meaningful insights to patients or triage or uh, check-ins that may not even require a human being uh, and that can get smarter and smarter and better and better. Uh, this is going to be incredibly valuable um, because it also will help on the cost, the cost side of the equation. Um, and then, you know, the last one I think that I think about, it, it relates a little bit to that, but it's, it's a big and growing area. And that area is, is the out-of-visit nudges. Uh, this is a, a new and emerging field, but more and more companies are beginning to examine this from their lens. And again, it goes back to the point I mentioned before about what happens to a patient in between the times they're with a provider. So I see a diabetic and I say, here's some great advice. Let's get you on this medication and we'll get this lab and you go see the eye doctor and I'll see you back in six months. We don't know what happens during those six months in a traditional sense. Sometimes we have some monitoring, but most of the time we don't. So we need to get a lot better, I think, in understanding what's happening during that window and nudging, checking in, advising, uh, giving the patient opportunities to escalate when something's going wrong, knowing whether they're taking their medication or not. I think there's an enormous opportunity in, in this space. Thank you so much for, for those thoughts. Uh, 
and and thank you again for for joining me on the slice of healthcare podcast it was a pleasure hopefully we can we have you back on again maybe at some point this year uh to kind of tell us where where amwell is at and uh kind of take a look back at some of these things we discussed of where we're at in 2021 and moving into 2022 i'll, I'll throw uh some some links to amwell and your social media sites in the show notes and again really appreciate you coming on Thank you, Jared. I really appreciate it. This is a fun conversation. Thanks. Hey, everyone. I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Block Health. Block Health is building the ecosystem of healthcare solutions and services to power the future of healthcare. Through Block Health, healthcare professionals and organizations can use their credentialing data for more. They can use the platform to store their credentialing and licensing related documents, fill out a smart common application that could be used to order multiple different services like provider enrollment, state license registration, state license renewals, and much more. To learn more about Block Health, please go to www.blochealth.com. Thank you to everyone that listened to this week's episode of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, we're available on all the major podcast channels. And you can check us out on our website, www.sliceofhealthcare.com. And that'll have all of our past guests on there. Uh, You can see our sponsors and you can learn more about actually becoming a guest. Thanks and look forward to another episode next week.